a shout of praise. Amen. Amen. Hey, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. My name is Byron. If you're new, I get the great privilege to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. And I'm excited that you came here today because we are going to be continuing our new series that we are calling We Are Redemption, where we're looking at the core values that determine who we are as a church. These things that we're talking about over these couple weeks is not just what we do as a church, but it's who we are as a church. It's the, it's the values that shape the identity of what God is doing here at Redemption. And last week, here's what I started off and I said last week, and I'm going to say it again this week, and I'm going to say it again next week. It's what you need to understand is that at Redemption, life change is a lifestyle. If you're taking notes, write that down. Life change is a lifestyle. So when you walked in the lobby this morning, you saw real big on the wall, what does it say? Life change through Jesus. Whenever you go on our website, it says life change through Jesus. When you go on our Instagram bio, it says we help people experience life change through Jesus. Whenever you join a serve team and you go to next steps immediately following service today, you're going to join our serve team and you're going to come to a team huddle next week at Serve 101. And at that team huddle every morning, here's what we do. We count it down. Where's my serve team at? Let me hear you. One, two, three. Life change through Jesus. Life change through. Jesus. Let's do it one more time. It sounds so good. Life change through. Jesus. But here's what you need to know is that Life change for us is not just something we have on the wall, but it's something that God has placed inside of our heart. It's not something that we just put on our Instagram, but it's a way that we live our lives because life change is a lifestyle. So you wonder, okay, well, Byron, how do I experience this life change? Great question. Glad you asked because that's what this entire sermon series is about. How did you know that? Like, it's just a perfect Sunday just for you. And so let me go ahead and give you our five values, ways that we experience life change through Jesus. And here's what they are. Worship, community, evangelism, serving, and generosity. Let me repeat those one more time. Worship, community, evangelism, serving, and generosity. If you begin to incorporate these five practices in your daily life, I guarantee you, over time, you will experience life change. And so for us at Redemption, here's the five things that we do together. We, we worship, we live in community, we share our faith with others, that's called evangelism. We serve by using our spiritual gifts to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. And then we give generously because the Lord Jesus says it is better to give than it is to receive. These are the lifestyle practices of people who call Redemption home. And so the first thing we're going to look at today is living a lifestyle of worship. And it's going to be found in Matthew chapter 26. So go ahead and grab your Bible and turn with me to Matthew 26, verse 6. And we're going to meet a woman that I believe perfectly exemplifies what a lifestyle of worship is supposed to look like. And so let's pick it up in verse 6. We're going to read the whole section. And then I'm going to give you five ways in which we are to 
worship. Here's what we see, starting in verse 6. Now, when Jesus, it all starts with Jesus. And so if we're going to worship, we're going to worship Jesus. Because it's always about Jesus and life change comes through. Was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. A woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it out on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for my burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed before the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now, the first thing you need to understand about this story is this, is nowhere in this text do we see her singing a song. It's a, it's, a, it's a text about genuine worship, but nowhere in here does she sing. She doesn't get out a guitar. She doesn't play a piano, right? It's, there's no vocals that are happening. She's not on the platform. It's not happening on a Sunday morning. There's no lights. There's no haze. There's no fog machine. There's no, you know, uh, there's no one wearing skinny jeans leading worship. But yet, this is... The portrait that Jesus says true worship is supposed to look like. And here's the reason why. It's because in 21st century evangelical church, we have reduced worship down to a set list. We have reduced worship down to a playlist. We have reduced worship down to a radio station in the car. We have reduced worship down to the songs that we sing. Now listen, worship includes singing, but it is not limited to singing. Here's what you need to know, is that worship is not about the songs that you sing, but rather it is the sacrifice that you bring. It is the sacrifice that we make before Jesus. That's why in verse 13 it says this, wherever the gospel is preached, this woman will be remembered. Why does Jesus lift this woman up as an example of what true worship is? It's not because of the songs that she sung, but rather it was the sacrifice that she made before God. Because worship is not about the songs you sing, but rather the sacrifice that you bring. I think one of the most important verses around worship is Romans 12, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? To present your voice, to present your songs, to present your instruments, to present your band. No, what does he say? To present your bodies. That is your existence. That is the totality of your experience. That is your heart, your mind, your will, your body. To present yourself as a living what? Sacrifice. For this is holy and acceptable. This is the type of worship God looks for. It is your spiritual act of worship. Because worship is not about singing. Worship is about your sacrifice. This is what we see repeatedly throughout the scriptures. Yes, Sunday is for worship, but so is Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And every day that ends in day 
is an opportunity for you to worship. Yes, your songs are an opportunity to worship. Your singing is an opportunity to worship. Raising your hands is worship. Your hallelujah is worship. But so is your job. And so is the way you honor your spouse. So is the way that you raise your kids. So is the way that you steward your finances. The way you save, the way you spend. Tithing is an act of worship. Your vocation, your education is an act of worship. For the singles, resisting sexual sin in your singleness, that is an act of worship before God. And then putting your shopping cart up at the grocery store, that, my friends, is an act of worship. Why? Because you are, you are putting God first in what you do in your life. You are a living sacrifice. Having this definition of worship will radically alter the way that you view life and it will help you experience life change through Jesus because you're going to recognize that God wants to do far more in your life every day than he just wants to do in one hour on a Sunday morning. That everything in your life is an opportunity for you to give back to God what he deserves. Everything is an act of worship. And here's what you need to know, is that this definition will change your life. Why? Because worship is not just what you do. Worship is who you are. That you were created by God to worship. You are a worshiper, and we are constantly worshiping. The question is not, do you worship? The question is, who or what do you worship? Well, how do I know? It's the area of your life that you make the greatest amount of sacrifices for. Wow. See, everybody is a worshiper. Right? Everybody worships. Some people worship their jobs. Some people worship their career. Some people worship their intelligence or their education. Some people worship their spouse. Some people worship their kids. Some people worship their singleness. Some people worship their sex, sexuality. People worship their gender. People worship money. People worship their kids. People worship their cats, which is actually demon worship. But everybody worships. The question is, who or what do you worship? This woman here, she recognizes that there is nothing in her life that is as valuable to her as worshiping Jesus. There is nothing in her life that is more important than worshiping Jesus. There is nothing in her life that is more significant, more deserving, more holy, more beautiful to Jesus. And she runs to Jesus and she breaks open her alabaster flask and she pours it out on Jesus and she glorifies him. She magnifies him. She sits at his feet and she praises him and she worships Jesus. Listen, when we talk about worship here at redemption, this is what we're talking about. We're not just talking about the songs that we sing, but we're talking about men and women who make significant sacrifices on behalf of Jesus Christ. What would our church look like if all of us, we worshiped like her? What would redemption look like if we created a culture of worship where people value Jesus above everything else? where people praise Jesus above everything else, where, where people glorify Jesus first and foremost in their life and nothing else compare in comparison to him. What would our church look like? I believe it would be the type of church that Jesus desires. And so let us look at five ways from this text that we are to worship the Lord Jesus. Here's the first thing that we see is this, is that worship should be your priority. 
I want you to notice that in verse 6, it starts off by saying that this story happens in Bethany. This is very important because we're in Matthew 26. There's only 28 chapters in the whole book. So that means we're at the very end of the book. And Jesus did ministry for about three and a half years. So the gospel stories, what we see is that the majority of the focus is given to the three and a half years of ministry. And then in the last several chapters, it zooms in on the final seven days, the Passion Week. We are in the last days of Jesus' life where this story takes place. So Jesus is crucified on a Friday. This story takes place late on a Wednesday night. So it's about 24 hours from where Jesus is going to go to the cross and he is going to die. And when we read this, we need to understand that that's a pretty big day for Jesus. It's a pretty busy day. It's the whole purpose and reason why he came, right, to die for the sins of the world. It was a a busy day. If you were to ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, are you busy? What are you doing? He's going to like, oh, I don't know. Um, I'm about to be crucified, die, and then three days later, I'm going to resurrect, okay? Like, are you busy? I'm a little busy. Atoning for the sins of the world, right? Jesus was a, a little bit busy. But here's what I want you to know. Even on the most busiest day of Jesus' life, he still finds time to spend time with this woman. Why? Because in that moment, she was Jesus' top priority. I want you to know something in your life. You are Jesus' top priority. You know how I know that? Because here's what the Bible says, that for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. I have come to set the captives free. I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. You're the whole reason Jesus came. Jesus came to live the perfect life you never could live, die the painful death in your place as a substitute for your sin, resurrect, and then give you a new life that you could never earn. You are the whole reason that Jesus came. You are Jesus' top priority. And you wonder, well, what is Jesus doing now that he's in heaven? Here's what it says. It says that he is interceding on behalf of the saints. That even in heaven, Jesus still views you as his top priority. Listen, Jesus is never too busy for us. The question is, why do we get too busy for him? If Jesus is never too busy for us, why are we so busy that we don't have time to spend time with him? Listen, if you are too busy to worship, you're too busy. I hear people say all the time, Pastor, I wish I could, but I just don't have the time. I wish I could go to church. I wish I could read my Bible. I wish I could pray. I wish I could be in a small group. I wish I could, but I just don't have the time. Why? Because I'm so busy. Listen, if you're too busy to spend time with Jesus, you're just too busy. You need to reprioritize your life so that way you can spend time doing the most important thing in your life. Like, do you know how important living a life of worship is? Like, in the Old Testament, when God wrote the Ten Commandments, like, just ten things. Like, if you can remember these ten things, you'll be okay. Ten things. You know what the number one thing he said was? He says, worship me and worship me alone. That's how important prioritizing worship is. God put it as number one on the list. Because worship is to be our priority. But we live in a hurry culture. The culture that says school and extracurriculars and all the activities that we have going on in our life. 
And here's what I do know, is if the devil can't deceive you nor destroy you, he will distract you. He will get so many things on your schedule that you no longer have time to do in the one thing that you were created to do, which is to worship and glorify God. People say, oh, well, you know, Johnny has T-ball. I think he's going to go pro. You know, Susie, she's got ballet and we got select soccer. If I could, you know, we have games on the weekends and I, I really think their future depends on it. Listen, your child has a 0.04% chance of going pro. But they have a 100% chance of standing before the Lord on judgment day. And if you teach your kids that church is optional, do not be surprised when they grow up and they believe it's irrelevant. As a family, we are creating cultures of worship in our home. Because the best thing that you can give your kids is a healthy, loving relationship with Jesus Christ. This is so incredibly important. Like, as Christians, we have to recognize that Jesus is our top priority. People say all the time, family comes first. Nope. Not true. It is if you want to teach your children how to become idols, yes, put your kids first. What we need to teach our children is this, is that God comes first. And that, and that we prioritize worship in our home and we create a culture of worship and glorifying and honoring God and Christ in our lives. My friends, this is our top priority. Recently, Barna came out with a survey following COVID-19. And here's what they discovered is that the average Christian in America goes to church 1.4 times per month. Per month, right? So that's about 16 times across the entire year. Out of 52 Sundays, 16 is what is now normal Christianity in America. But I, that, to me, that just doesn't sound normal. Like, just think about it like this. Like, if you only got one paycheck per month, would you say, ah, that's okay, that's normal. If you only had one bowel movement per month, <laughs> would you be like, yeah, that's normal. Right? If you only had sex one time a month with your spouse, would you be satisfied? You're like, nope. Then why do we think God deserves any less? If we prioritize these areas of our lives, why do we not make God a priority in our life? If that's not normal there, it shouldn't be normal in the house of God. That we should prioritize Worship, because Jesus is never too busy for us. We need to make time to spend time and not get too busy for him. Worship is a priority. The second thing is that worship should be priceless. The text tells us that she had an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment that she poured on top of Jesus' head. Now, this would be pretty unusual because at the time, women weren't, um, of value and means. They didn't just have jobs and they couldn't just save up a whole lot of money. They couldn't own property or inheritances. And so the fact that she had this very costly alabaster jar was, was quite unusual. And, and the, the price of it was extraordinary. It was alabaster, so that means it was rare. It was probably imported from India. And as it got into that region, it would have had incredible worth. In, in one place it says it was worth 300 denarii, which is about a day's wage. This would be an entire year's salary. In our day, it would be about $70,000. That's how expensive this is. But just a little Bible trivia. Do y'all remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? One of the disciples said that it would cost us 200 denarii to be able to feed all these people. So if it costs 200 denarii to feed 5,000 men plus women and children, which could be up to $20,000, this act of worship would have been enough to maybe feed 35,000 people, $70,000.
That's how valuable this is. But it's even more than that. This is most likely this woman's prized possession. This is her retirement. This is her savings account. This is everything that she owns. And what does she do? She breaks the flask and she pours it out on Jesus. Why? Because compared to Jesus, nothing else compares. Compared to how precious Jesus is, how beautiful Jesus is, how marvelous Jesus is, how wonderful Jesus is, nothing even pales in comparison to the price that Jesus has paid for her life. To her, Jesus is worth it because Jesus is priceless. Do you worship Jesus like this? See, eventually you just have to count the cost of what it truly means to follow after Jesus. Like me and Ashley, we just made this decision a long time ago, is that we never want to offer God something that doesn't cost us everything. Because God deserves our best in everything that we do. I don't want to offer him less than what he deserves. Here's what we discovered is this. My worship isn't cheap. It's priceless. Worship's not cheap. It's the most expensive thing that you have. It's your time. It's your energy. It's your focus. It's your devotion. It's your heart. That's what your worship is. Your worship is not cheap. Your worship is priceless. And so I want to give my worship to Jesus. I want to break open the flask of my life. I want to pour out the oil of my soul. And I want to anoint him from the top of his head down to the bottom of his feet. Because compared to Jesus, nothing compares to him. Your worship, your worship is priceless. I want you to see something. That the oil that would have been in the flask, it would have been a pure pound of nard, which is like a, it's like a compound concentrated paste. And what you would do is you would just take a small little piece and you would mix it with water or you would dilute it with something else. You would rub it together and that would make the ointment for the hair or for the feet. You would never pour out an entire pound at the same time. But here's what this woman does. And it's what all of us need to do. Is she does not water down her worship. She doesn't measure out her worship. I'm going to give Jesus a little bit of this, but I'm going to keep a little to myself. I'm going to give a little bit here, but I'm going to keep a little bit back. She doesn't dilute her worship She doesn't water down her worship. She doesn't measure out her worship. What does she do? When she gets the chance, she breaks the flask. She pours it out. And she says, Jesus, you are more beautiful than anything because to her, Jesus was priceless. I love the quote from A.W. Tozer that says this, Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. You know why? Because so oftentimes we sing worship songs with our lips but we deny them with our heart. Whenever you're singing worship songs, do you really mean the words that you're singing? Like we say this all the time. We say, we say, I surrender all. Do you? Or maybe we should change the lyrics to I surrender some. I surrender most. I surrender almost. Or this morning we sang, worthy of it all. Is he though? Is he worthy of it all or is he worthy of most? Is he worthy of some? Is he worthy of almost? Is he worthy of every area in my life except for this this one area? 
Is he worthy only on Sundays or is he worthy on Monday morning as well? Christians don't tell lies, we sing them. And we'll sit in church and we'll sing songs like, worthy of it all. And we have to ask ourselves, is he really? But not here at Redemption, right? We don't do that. No, because Redemption is a church that values genuine, authentic, heartfelt, passionate, priceless worship. Amen? The way that we worship, we don't measure out our worship. We don't dilute our worship. We don't water down our worship. When we worship, we mean it. When we sing it, we mean it. When we worship, we worship with passion here at Redemption. We worship with celebration. We worship with excitement. We worship Jesus because when we are in this place, gathered as his people, in the middle of his presence, we would just break the flask and say, Jesus, you are worthy. That's the way we worship here at Redemption. Which leads to number three, that worship is to be, is to be passionate. This story is found in all four Gospels in, in different places. And so when you take the Gospels and you, you compare them, it actually gives you a better picture of what the story looks like. And, and here's what we see take place in John's Gospel. At the same story in John 12, 3, it says this. Mary, there's her name, took the pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And then Luke's gospel tells us something very interesting in 738. He says, she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So you read that and you think, well, which one is it? Did, did she anoint his head? Did she anoint his feet? Did she wipe his feet with her hair or did she wipe with her tears? The answer is yes. All of the above. Why? Because this act of worship was a sign of her passion from Jesus. Now, some of you, as you're reading this, you're immediately getting a little nervous. You're like, whoa, Byron. Like, you want me to, like, get down on my knees and kiss somebody's feet? <laughs> right? That you, you, you want me to get passionate? You want me to show my passion? Like, I'm just not a very passionate person. Right, I'm just, I'm more of a reserved person, like, like on the inside, like Byron, you seem like you're an extrovert, I'm more of an introvert, right, you're like, I'm raising my hands on the inside, <laughs> I'm singing in my heart, like, I'm just not a, I'm just not a very passionate person, I, I tend to be more reserved, I say this all the time, very important, if you're going to call Redemption Home, you need to understand this, reserved worship is a learned behavior, Someone somewhere taught you that it's not okay to show your emotions. Someone somewhere taught you that you have to hold back. You, you can't have a visible display of affection. Someone somewhere taught you that, that reverence is silence. Someone somewhere taught you, shh, you're in church. You're supposed to take God serious. And because of that, you take your serious, but you don't take God serious enough. Because what we see in the Bible is this. We see a passionate display of affection towards God. I mean, we see Jacob wrestling with the pre-incarnate Christ. I will not let go of you until you bless me. We see the angels in eternity future crying out, holy, holy, holy. We see, the, we see the saints and the kings remove their crowns and bow down at the feet of Jesus with the 24 elders of the book of Revelation. 
We see in Samuel, David dancing before the Lord, saying, I will become even more undignified than this. Reserved worship is a learned behavior. It is not something you're going to find anywhere in the Bible. You say, well, but that's just my tradition. Listen, your tradition was unbiblical. You say, well, that's just my denomination. Listen, I'm not here to convert you to a denomination. I'm here to tell you what the Bible says. And I don't care what your denomination, what your background, I don't care what your mama said. I don't care. The only thing I care about is what the Bible says. And the Bible says, when it comes time to worship, Jesus deserves your passion. But I'm not a passionate person. Sure you are. I mean, I see every single Sunday. I love it. Every Sunday, I see, I see men in the church, right? Men in the church just sitting in the back with their arms folded like this during worship. And the worship team's like, raise your hands. You're like, nope. I ain't doing it. Lift your voice. Mm-mm. Not happening. And we'll sing like this. This is our house of miracles. <laughs> or they say, worthy of it all. Just, but there's no, there's no... There's, there's no conviction behind what they're singing. And then the pastor's like, hey, pull out your note sheets. I ain't taking notes. I done graduated high school. I ain't taking no more notes. <laughs> pastor's preaching straight fire, right? Everybody's cheering, yeah, and you're like, mm-mm, not doing it. Why? Because I am not a, I'm, just not, I'm just not a passionate, I'm just not a display of emotion type person. I say, yes, you are. Let's take that same man out of the church and let's put him 50-yard line at a Dallas Cowboy game. Face painted silver and blue. Got a hot dog in one hand, $27 beer in the other, and going, we didn't boys, we didn't boys, right? Like, you didn't even make JV squad. What are you talking about, we didn't boys? You ain't on that team. But yet you get passionate about it. I mean, take it like this. Last night, runners on first and third. Jordan Alvarez. Gone! Astros win! Astros win! Every single man in this room jumping up and down on their couch. Ah! Astros win! Right? Why? Because you get passionate about things that you love. People have no problem being passionate in every area except for in this area. For some reason, somebody told you it's acceptable for you to be passionate about the Cowboys, but not about Jesus. Somewhere someone told you it's acceptable to be passionate about your favorite artist, but not about Christ. Somewhere someone told you that it was, it was acceptable for you to be passionate about every other area except for in this area of your life. Why? I have no clue why, but I'm here to tell you it's wrong. Because reserved worship is a learned behavior. What does this woman do? She, she just falls at her knees. And she anoints the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And she weeps and she cries and she pours out her heart before Christ. And I just have to wonder, when was the last time I did that? Say, this week I'm prepping and I'm just like, Byron, when was the last time that you just sat at the feet of Jesus, not because you wanted something, not because you needed a sermon prepped, not because you, you wanted a, a miracle, not because you wanted to get his attention, but when was the last time you just cleared your day and you sat at the feet of Jesus and you cried and you wept and you poured out your praise because of how amazing he is in your life? Byron, when was the last time that you just sought and you just thought about who Jesus is? 
Not about what he does for you, but just who he is. That Jesus would live the perfect life for me. That Jesus would, would leave heaven to earth for me. That Jesus would go to that cross for me. That he would die in my place. That he would give me the Holy Spirit. That he would, he, he would, he would forgive me of my sins. Eternity in heaven for him forever. For me. When was the last time you just sat at his feet and just said, Jesus, I love you. So yeah, I get a little excited when I worship Jesus. Forgive me, I get a little excited when I think about what he's done in my life. Forgive me, I get a little passionate about my king when I think about what he's done in my life. Forgive me, I get a little passionate when I worship but I just know who Jesus is, and I know what he deserves. And so I worship with passion. When was the last time you, you broke the flask of your life and you poured out your worship on Christ? The, the fourth thing we see is this, is that worship should be pure. Okay, now, when you start to live your life like this, you need to be ready. You know why? Because some people are going to think you're crazy. When you start living your life like this, some people are going to think you're insane. Because there could be some people who, who they don't understand what genuine worship looks like. Look what we see here. We see this in verse 8. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. They were upset, saying, why this waste to people who don't know who Jesus is? Your worship looks like a waste. They're going to look at your life and they say, what a waste. You mean you go to church on Sunday, every Sunday? Like, well, actually, I serve one, sit once, but I go to two services. <laughs> what a waste of your time. And you're on, a, you're on a serve team? What a waste. Think about all the, all the people on our worship team, tremendously talented. They could be using that talent to start bands and to be musicians and to play gigs. And yet they rehearse on Thursdays, and they get up here at 6 o'clock in the morning on Sundays to be able to, to lead us in worship here. And to, to other people... And they don't get paid, they're volunteers. So to other people, they'd say, that's a waste of their time and their talent and their energy. We have teachers who serve in children's ministry back there. They get paid to do it during the week, and they do it for free for our kids. So that's a waste. I remember when me and Ashley were called into ministry. I went and told her parents, I said, hey, I, I'm going to become a pastor. I have a degree in communications, but I'm going to change all of that, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to plant churches. And you know what they said? They said, what a waste. Her parents aren't Christians or believers, so they didn't understand that the values in our life had changed. So you're not going to make a lot of money. That's not why I do it. Everything, the values, the priorities of my life are, are changed. And to some people, when they see you worship, they're going to say, what a waste. Why this waste? But what does Jesus think about this? He says, Jesus, aware of this, said, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. When you start to live a life of true, genuine worship, there will be people who are going to try to slow you down, to stop you. There are going to be people who will start to criticize you, make fun of you. There will be people who they just won't understand the way that you live your life. 
And so to live a true, genuine life of worship, there must be a purity about your motives. Because on one hand, many people, they, they want to please God, but on the other hand, they're worried about what people are going to think. One of the number one things I hear from people like, Byron, I would love to be as passionate and worship like that. But the reason why I hold back is because I worry about what other people are going to think. I would love to be able to, to, to be sold out for Jesus, but you know, I'm in my mid-40s and and, and, and I'm worried about what my teenage kids are going to think because I, I didn't let, raise them in the church. Now that I'm trying to follow Jesus, they're just going to call me hypocritical. When I go to work and I try to share my faith, I just, I, I can't do it because I'm worried about what my coworkers are going to say. Like, I, we got married and I wasn't a believer and now I'm a believer and my spouse is not a believer and I want them to come to church with me, but I'm afraid that every time I press them and the desires of my heart are beginning to change and I'm losing my spouse, I'm losing the relationship, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm just stuck in this middle worried about what people are going to think. But can I just tell you something? In the middle of this moment when people were criticizing this woman, Jesus steps up and he defends her. Here's what you need to know is that you will never please God when you're trying to impress people. The longer you try to impress people, the more you're going to be unable to please God. What what does Jesus say? He says this. He says, why do you do that to this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. You know what Jesus thinks about your worship when you live a life of genuine, authentic, heartfelt, passion? You know what he thinks? He thinks it's beautiful. He thinks it's amazing. He says, that's what you were created to do. Oh, that's, I love it when you live your life like this. Oh, it is a beautiful thing. And then he steps in, he comforts you, he defends you, he protects you, he celebrates you, and he honors you because of that. So don't worry about what people think. Worry about what God thinks. Don't worry about what people say. Worry about what God says. And you will never be able to please God if you're trying to live your life by impressing others. There should be a purity about your life. Sold out, not watered down, not diluted, and holding nothing back. Jesus says, what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. And the last thing that we see is this, that our worship should be a priority. Your worship should be priceless. Your worship should be passionate. Your worship should be pure. And it closes, and the final verse is that your worship is powerful. Look what it says as we close in verse 13. Truly I say to you, Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Here's how powerful your worship is. Here we are 2,000 years later. This woman, her story is still inspiring ours. 2,000 years later. And here we are in downtown Beaumont still talking about a woman who broke the flask and poured out her life as an act of worship before God. This is why we say that life change is a lifestyle. Because she doesn't sing a song, but she does make a sacrifice. And that sacrifice is still bringing transformation to people's lives 2,000 years later. Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached, this woman will be remembered. I just have to think about how many lives 
have been changed because a pastor preached this message? How many lives have been changed because a believer read this verse? I've got to think about how many marriages have been transformed because a woman read this and she said, you know what, I'm going to give it one more shot. Or how many children's lives have been changed because a father stepped up in the home and began to be the lead worshiper in that house. Can't think about how many addictions have been broken because people recognize that they don't have an alcohol problem, they have a worship problem. And then they began to see that as I worship Jesus more, the other things in my life become less valuable. How many people have experienced hope because of this woman's story? How many people have been delivered from depression or the throes of anxiety or the, the, the weight of worry because of this woman's story? This is why we say that life changes a lifestyle because this is not about a song. This is about a sacrifice. What would it look like at redemption in your life if you developed a culture of worship for yourself? That if you did not limit worship to a few songs on a Sunday, but to your everyday, how would that change the way that you live? How would that change your marriage? How would it change the way you parent your kids? How would it change your job, your education, your vocation? How would it change the temptations you struggle with? If you began to view all of life as a sacrifice, live before God. How would that lead to life change for you? How would that lead to a life change here as a church? What if as a church, we didn't have a church of one person who worshiped like this, but we had a church of 500 people who worshiped like this. What would redemption look like if we all learned to worship like this woman? How many lives would we see changed? How many answers to prayers would we experience? How many miracles would take place in this house? How many addicts would be delivered, how many marriages would be restored, how many single moms would be blessed if we all learned to worship like this? What would our church look like if we created a genuine culture of worship? What would our city look like if we learned how to worship like this? What would the crime rate in Beaumont look like if it was filled with men and women who poverty rate in Beaumont look like if it was filled with a church who knew how to worship God? What, what, would, what would our schools look like if we had men and women and, 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 and families who taught their children what genuine worship looked like? What would our universities look like? What would our jobs look like? What would this city look like if there was a, a church in downtown Beaumont with 500 people who viewed their entire life as an act of worship before God? our region look like? What would our world look like if we all just learned how to worship the way Jesus teaches us to worship? 
here's the last line as we close. I want you to understand this. Is that worship is your greatest witness. Why does Jesus say everywhere the gospel is preached, what, what, what is done would be told in memory of her? Because Jesus wants you to understand that worship is your greatest witness. The way you live your life is the worship that people are watching. If you, if people are wanting to know, is your God really as good as you say he is? Is your God really as loving as people say he is? Is your God really as compassionate as people say he is? And they may not ever read the Bible, but they will read your life. They may not ever come to this church, but you can still show them what a life of worship truly looks like. So worship here at Redemption is the greatest witness that we have. Are you willing to make that sacrifice?